You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Oh yeah! Episode lucky number 13 of Fly in the Call. Candid Conversations on Music is here. I'm recording this Wednesday morning, so I'll keep it quick. Today's guest is Ryland of Origami Angel. You know them, you love them, you're a card-carrying member of the Gami Gang. After a great split with Commander Salamander earlier this year and a Pokemon themed EP, the band whipped this sector of the internet into a frenzy with the rollout of their debut album Somewhere City, and of course the music itself. Their airy energy mixed with blast beats and breakdowns quickly shot Origami Angel toward the top of many year-end lists, so please enjoy. I mean, how like how were like all the record release shows and stuff? Oh, the release shows were perfect. They were so awesome. Um, luckily enough, we got to do them pretty much all at like homies' houses and places we've been before, or people who we've like done shows with before. Um, and like every single uh, gig, we had really great friends on. Awesome. Um, <laughs> and it was just yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a really great experience. Um, like the first one was in Philly the day the record came out, and like there's people singing along to the thing that came out like you know less than 24 hours ago <laughs> so it was i don't know it was a really insane feeling um and it was just way like especially cool because we were doing it with friends um in a, such an intimate environment three house shows really fun for sure yeah um and i mean speaking of like the live show like i've heard they're kind of they get pretty crazy um i haven't been able to catch one yet but uh like can you tell me a little bit more about like what your kind of like live presence is like um, yeah, it is a lot of fun. Uh, we tend to play, you know, uh, pretty fast. Not yet. We, we get it really excited. It's a thing. I don't know. <laughs> we do some cool stuff. Like we've been opening up with a, uh, with an extended intro to the song 24 hour drive through. We do like kind of this like metal thing that leads <laughs> into it, which is really fun. Um, and luckily enough, like just the shows that we've played and the people that come to our shows just, um, if they do know us, sometimes even if they don't, they come with a, an energy that is kind of ready to just, you know, be like dancey and moshy and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> it is, it's a ton of fun to play. Uh, we play pretty loud. I've, I've been told um, <laughs> I run through three amps. So that's oh, a wow. lot of fun. Um, Cause it's just the two of us. Uh, it's yeah. just me and, and Pat and I don't know. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, I'm trying to find the right words to describe it. <laughs> it's a great time live. We we really have a lot of fun. Just good. I don't know. That's been like the main goal of this band is just to write music that we think is really fun and that we like to play on stage and like to play for friends and for people who can reciprocate that energy. I don't know. It's a great time. 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I've seen like a couple uh, references to doing um, like battle sets with uh, Commander Salamander. Uh, I can kind of imagine what that's like, but can you tell me like a little bit more about that? Yeah. Okay, so we've done it twice now. One time, we did them both at um, at DIY Fest. So one was at uh, Deep Sea Fest 2, which is our friend Sammy from the band Sammy Heck. She runs a label called Deep Sea, and she basically puts on a fest. She did it last year, and she did it this year too, where all the people and like homies that she's worked with played this one venue in Falston, Maryland, which is like kind of close to Baltimore, <laughs> um, but it's very rural. We played an outdoor gig um, for Deep Sea Fest too. And it was a lot of, it was an all day thing, really cool. But that's the first time us and Commander Salamander ever played a battle set. And then we also did one at DIY Prom in September that was in Bowling Green, Ohio at Howard's Club. That's like the same. I don't know if you've seen like the Focella, like yeah, Summit yeah. stuff. It's yeah. those people that run those amazing fests. And that's so cool too. Basically like in the battle set, we tend to, well, yeah, we do. Um, we trade songs back and forth. Um, we usually open up with rock, paper, scissors to see who goes first. <laughs> um, and it's really fun. It's like, it's like the next step of like a high level energy show, especially because we're such good friends with them. Like we hang out all the time. It's kind of like, you know, as soon as one song ends from, from Origami Angel, Commander Salamander immediately picks it up and there's not like a crazy delay <laughs> in the song. So it's just like a nonstop, like, energy blast and it's a lot of fun too because if you like both bands uh and are familiar with them it's just like kind of cool to be able to get two things right back to back instead of when you'd regularly it would be displayed as like all of the origami angel songs now all the commander salamander songs so it's really fun it always ends up being way more high energy than a regular show because like liam the drummer for commander salamander will always just like snatch the mic and start doing vocals for uh the song effective power um <laughs> which is really cool it's, I don't know, that's, that's a super fun uh, thing to do too. And hopefully we can do that some more with that band. Um, I couldn't really see us doing it with anybody else just because like they've been homies for so long. Yeah, it definitely seems like you guys have like that cool relationship going on. Um, uh, uh, I think a few years ago, like on Warp Tour or something, Silverstein and Beartooth did kind of a similar thing. I think they called it Silvertooth. I think it was like them all mostly all of them like playing all of each other's songs together but um both of those seem like really cool like experiences oh that's so cool yeah definitely like i've heard a lot of like screamo bands do um do battle sets all the time and it's not crazy common in like emo like emo pop punk emo punk communities but uh i remember we saw the band Morning Dew, they're from Falston, and this other band called Some Mess, so they're also from Falston. At that venue, Grateful Acres, they did a battle set once, and then we kind of like fantasized about the idea forever. And then it finally <laughs> happened. It's so awesome. Yeah, that's rad. Um, and then, I mean, I, I saw like a couple mentions of you saying that um, kind of like the obsessives as a two piece were kind of a, a big inspiration for like showing you and Pat that, you know, you were you could like could do a band as a two piece. Um, I, I saw them only that way, that way only once, but um, it was definitely like a really cool uh, kind of like special thing for sure. Um, can you talk a little bit about like that kind of influence and like just kind of the whole idea of starting a band as a two piece? Yeah, for sure. Um, being from DC area, the obsessives were always playing um, sick ass shows and they were a two piece for the majority of that time. Um, and 
yeah, I would see them live and just be blown away. Like, why is this band of two people the biggest, you know, like the biggest sounding thing I've ever heard? You know, why is this band of two people sound like 10 times louder and 10 times more full than some bands of like five or six people that I've seen? I was just so mesmerized by the way that Nick could split the guitar tone like that and just how much of a great drummer Jackson was. And it was just, I don't know, it was, it was like a transcendent experience for me being like, I never thought that that's allowed you know, from the first times I saw them and they kept getting better and they just kept making it even greater and greater. And I remember one time me and Pat saw them, um, I think like August, 2016, it was like one of the last shows that they played in the DC area as a two piece. And they completely just like blew that, like the house, the roof off of that house. It was, it was insane. And then me and Pat were there. It was the first time we both saw them at the same time. And then like after that show, we were like, we need to do that. Like we need to be a two piece. We need to, started to be too because me and pat were in a band before that broke up like right before that and it kind of just came around at the right time and we were like all right it's time to make this happen like we're gonna we're gonna try to do this so i have spent a lot of my journey through like gami and stuff like that figuring out how on my part to write like for a two-piece band and how to perform that live and just how i'm gonna do that with my rig and that's expanded a ton from like when we started first playing shows my board being about the size of like a small book and now it's like a spaceship. Um, <laughs> so like, that's just been something that I've consistently tried to make better. And it was pretty dude, inspired by that band. And then some other two piece bands I really liked were like two nights and giraffes, giraffes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, had, we all liked all three of those bands. And it was kind of like, I, there was there's something very endearing about just two people percussion and all the melodic stuff on a stage doing it and it's like it's always just got this underdog feeling and then from like pat's side of it it's just like he has so much more that he can do as a drummer you know and <laughs> we can we're allowed to take a lot of liberties in the songwriting because it's just us two and we can kind of have that tightness of just being two people on stage and i don't know it's, it's a more focused thing i guess <laughs> it's a lot of fun it's it's great and i don't think that we would have ever been able to have the idea if it wasn't for the obs kind of kicking that off in our brains yeah i, I think it's really cool that it kind of that that came from a place of you being inspired by these other two piece bands rather than just like only because like oh like it's so hard having four people all together at once so let's just like me and you are more the kind of most dependable among us uh, it's yeah. cool that it's cool that you like had that inspiration and kind of came into it with that goal in mind um, and I, I feel like that also the kind of dynamics between you two really allows um, the, the drums and like percussion to be able to kind of shine. And like you said, kind of take over a lot of, or like play different parts than, you know, would kind of be in a typical band where the drums are kind of more in the back. Um, and there's also kind of like a really rhythmic style to your guitar and even your vocals in some songs. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about like that relationship between the instrumentation and everything? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's been pointed out to me a couple of times. And before um, someone pointed out to me at a show a couple of years ago, like how uh, like the way that I played guitar with like even with the melodies is pretty rhythmic and like very um, rhythm based. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just something in my mind <laughs> that's like when it comes to writing music, it's like, I think, in terms of rhythm way more than I do of melody and melody kind of comes after and often they come together, but I think it's like the rhythm that's really the defining thing for my brain mm-hmm. as to what is catchy or what is, you know, 
what's good, what's a cool riff. Um, so I think that that has just like made its way into my brain as a guitarist and a, and a vocalist of that. I think it probably comes from being in a rhythm section in jazz band, like through high school and college. Well, mm-hmm. I was in college for a year, but I was in jazz band. It was cool. Um, and I learned a lot of like rhythm technique from that, that I think kind of became the foundation for where I took the like writing material of this band. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool. Like the things that I like the most in music are often those rhythmic interplays between guitars and drums. And often sometimes guitars, drums, and vocals all together. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, but the band that I've been citing as an influence for that for a while has been Chunk, no Captain Chunk. Um, <laughs> I don't know how familiar you are with them or like Easy Core or anything, but it's, I always really admired the way that they would do rhythms like that were pretty much, you would, I, they were like breakdown based rhythms, but they would end being in like the verse of a song, you know? It'd be like a breakdown with a very aggressive, choppy guitar and drum syncopated breakdown but they would also just sing over top of that and it just made everything all the more catchy you know Mm -hmm. yeah for sure it kind of like adds like that extra kind of intensity to the vocals too yeah definitely having that rhythmic like that backup like like the rhythm and the vocals together Uh, yeah that's basically the nail on the head it adds a little level of intensity that um in like more traditional just like straight up straight down the middle type of stuff it it's not that it lacks it's just it's a it's an extra level you know that i think is cool to get to I think that just probably comes from the two-piece nature of the band is just mm-hmm. more rhythm stuff that I have to uh, provide with guitar and vocals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, do you feel like you're kind of making up for the like missing quote-unquote instruments or is it more like just kind of that's how things come together? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think in the beginning it was more of a making up for uh, like when I was writing music, like off of her first couple EPs, like Quiet Hours and doing the most, it was like, how could I do this without, um, you know, without a second guitarist on stage or without a bassist? Like, how am I going to make this come from just my guitar? And I think it probably like just doing that so much just kind of became ingrained with the way that I think about writing Origami Angel songs. The way that I write music is like kind of uh, paired with that now to be like, I don't know. I think with the writing of this record, I really honed in on like the way that I could do that from a guitarist standpoint mm-hmm. um, and just making it more of a part of my writing instead of a part that comes after, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, so I'm curious, like, do you think it's kind of changed your brain enough that it'd be kind of hard for you to go back to a more kind of like four piece band? I definitely think so. Me and Pat were talking about that the other day. It's just <laughs> like, I don't really know what would happen if we tried to play or if like either of us had tried to play like Pat, um, I guess Pat went to, Pat was telling me about some experiences with his friends, like and he'd do like blues jams and stuff like that. And just like how weird it is to play with different guitarists now after be, being like accustomed to our style. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I've jammed with some of the guys in Commander Salamander before. And like, even like Liam is such a fantastic drummer, but like I can definitely tell like when I'm playing guitar, like how different it is mm-hmm. uh, than playing guitar for Origami Angel in our two-piece fashion in the way that it is. And it's, yeah, I haven't really tried to write anything for any other projects, but I could definitely tell that it would be pretty hard to distinguish um, that style of playing from another thing that I would write, you know? 
Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Um, and you had mentioned earlier, like the uh, high energy of your sets. Uh, and I, I feel like that really shines through, especially on um, the new album. There's kind of like sometimes even like a frantic feeling where it almost feels like you're about to kind of like go off the tracks, like in like the bridge and um, 24 hour drive through or like the outro of 666 flags. Um, right. I guess, can you just t- tell me a little bit about that and kind of how you do kind of keep it together? <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, it helps like Pat is like an absolute rock behind the kit. Um, like when it comes to just keeping shit like in line, you know, um, just, I don't know. It's really easy to play with Pat because he has such a, like when it comes to doing fast stuff like that and blast beats and like at the end of six, six, six flags or, any sort of weird beat that's also heavy, like in 24 hour drive through, like the bridge. Um, he's just so good at making that feel natural and making it feel not rushed. And it's just like, for me, I'm just following what he's doing because he can do it so well, you know, when it comes to blast beats and like with how strong his like left hand is, I can feel like every note and it's just like, okay, as long as I can feel this pocket, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. He just lays down the foundation for all that stuff. And it's really great. Um, and then for my part, I kind of, for stuff like that, I'll always think like, what if we did, you know, some blast beats here? And he'll be like, oh, like this? And he'll just play something absolutely ridiculous. And I'll be <laughs> like, yeah, exactly like that. And then I'll just come up with a way to do it. Um, but I guess like, as far as not flying off the rails, just the amount that we've practiced, just the two of us, like to make sure that we were okay with those parts definitely <laughs> helped a lot. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> It's crazy. I try not to think about it. That's the key. <laughs> I'll be like, oh no, this is impossible. Just try to go to, like a brain neutral moment. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely imagine, especially at like during the live show, like getting kind of like caught in your head with like the tempo and stuff. Like when I used to play guitar here all the time, I would, the hardest parts for me would always be like the super fast strumming. So I feel like I would definitely be especially in my head for the, during those parts. <laughs> yeah, I usually just try to zone out. And then like if people are having a great time, if people are like, monster around and dancing i'll just be like okay i can do that too and it'll probably sound all right you know <laughs> <laughs> for sure yeah it's, it's just nice to have that kind of like flexibility uh, especially since you bring such a high energy and like have that like funness you're able to be kind of a little bit loose in some ways yeah definitely <laughs> um and so i read that like you had you've had the idea for like somewhere city for kind of like close to two years um and that it was like originally going to be an ep before you were like convinced to make it an lp um how did like the original idea kind of come about and like would you call it a concept record yeah yeah okay so definitely i was i've always kind of wanted to do a theme like a location-based theme you know (laughs) um i've always just been obsessed with the more like the higher arching theme of escapism and like how it is just presented especially like in culture right now i think like everything is a form of escapism whether it's like memes or marvel movies or you know anything like that and any video game or sort of that and i think our music has always kind of touched on that and spoken to that but um what i was i remember sitting one night and thinking about an idea for an EP where the whole thing is location based and the whole thing is just about like different perspectives towards that escape, I guess. Um, and just 
the comfortness, like the comforting uh, factor that would be like able to be explored within an album like that. And I, I like you said, I, I did originally have the idea for an EP and I was pitching around to people and this was a while back. So I don't think anybody took me seriously. Um, <laughs> but then I remember I wrote the riff. So I had some of the songs like the beginning of Say Less. Um, the part where it's just guitar and vocals and stuff like that and where it cuts in and it's like a little dancey riff. I had everything but the chorus for that in about like this time of the year, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like one of the first things I had written for the record. I knew that I wanted to have that be on a thing. I don't know. It was, it was a little weird. But I think it was around last February, I sent Lex from Chatterbot. She's also our manager. Um, I sent her the beginning riff of welcome to and i was like i sent it on a voice memo or it might have even been a video of me singing it <laughs> and just playing it no drums but with an electric guitar and all that and i was like hey thought this would be a really cool thing for like the first song on an ep called somewhere city and it would be a concept record about or a concept ep about you know, a city and location about themes of escape. And I sent that at like four o'clock in the morning and I woke up at eight to Lex being like, Ryland, you need to wake up right now. Ryland, you need to wake up. You need to, and then like just pitched this idea to me about like, take this, make it an LP. It'll be so fucking sick. (laughs) And I was like, okay, you know, Lex usually know it's good. So there were some other projects that we had developing after that. Well, that idea kind of, stayed in my head as this is what i want the concept to be this is what i want um our themes to be and then as i developed songs just trying to fit like those parts into the lp and see where we could go from that mm-hmm. as far as a concept record i definitely think it's it is a loose concept album um and when i say loose end concept i don't know it's weird um it's a concept album that doesn't necessarily have to be tied to the concept you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. yeah it's like it's a little more i i would say it's not as thorough as certain concept records have been in the past mm-hmm. um in terms of the one dialogue whereas it's more like there's a couple different points of view there that we discuss like four or five that i think are all sort of different angles mm-hmm. of the same end goal if that makes sense yeah no, um, definitely for example, the song Escape Rope for me is it's the beginning of side two of the record. And it's sort of like um it's definitely the most negative song on the record. And it sounds like almost petty at points. And that transitions right into the title track, which is one of the more overwhelmingly positive songs on the record. And then the record kind of ends positively from that note. Um Escape Rope is a point of view where it's like from an outsider i think like someone who might not understand what a certain person is going through uh on the first side of the record or understand a lot of the dialogue and kind of is upset at upset at someone from for leaving or upset at someone for embarking on their own journey uh which i think is just as valid of a a narrative to sort of explore as one where we are just talking about the journey itself um, that was one that really fascinated me. It's one of the last three songs, I think, on the record that I wrote was Escape Rope. Um, and I I remember writing and I was like, I'm kind of getting tired of this one narrative that we're exploring. I kind of want to re- explore the opposite of it and see how far we could get with that. 
um, I, that one is definitely the most different, but it still serves a purpose to the overall angle of the record, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's weird when, when the word concept record starts to get thrown in, thrown around because it's definitely not a rock op, you know, it's no, like, yeah. uh, <laughs> no Tommy. It's not as, uh, I'd say it's not as thorough as, uh, for example, like cosmic thrill seekers that came out this year. Mm-hmm. Like, that's such a good concept album that is devoted to its, its narrative and how solid that is and how solid they pulled it off is so amazing. And it's, uh, I don't think we could have done something as thorough as that with the record that we wrote. Um, ours is definitely a little more not as tied down to that one concept, mm-hmm. but still has a theme. I don't know. It's a theme record. Maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of going to say something like that where it's like, it's not like a record where it's just like, 10 songs but it's also not just like one story it's kind of like in between like exploring that theme like you said (laughs) yeah exactly and i think um that's kind of what the whole city idea is too it's just like a city is not just going to be one type of person and one type of dialogue and one type of journey it's going to be filled with thousands of them really um of all different people all different stories all different backgrounds and i think that the songs are more of a they're more individual viewpoints in that community of songs, if that makes sense. For sure. Yeah. And, and how was it for you, like exploring those different viewpoints? Was it kind of like you working through things on personal things on your own, or was it more like, okay, let me look at this from how a different person could see it. Um, definitely a little bit of both, but more so just working through certain things on my own. Like there are definitely moments of the album where, like for example, like the song Six 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 Flags uh, is a super goofy song, but it also has some of the more realer lyrics on the album, I think. Um, and that's sort of, I, I wrote that song near the beginning of writing this record actually. And it was sort of like a, that song in a way is me realizing what I wanted the rest of the album to be about um, in that last like cadence of the, of the vocals of the, um, it's only two more seconds. Uh, all these microscopic moments help me feel like I'm not helpless mm-hmm. is sort of where in my life I decided how I wanted to turn this album around, you know, how I wanted to turn myself around and like just keep improving certain things in my life. Um, and that song is very representative of, of that. Um, the verse is kind of goofy though. <laughs> <laughs> um, the verse was definitely my little brother asked how much roller coasters cost. And I was like, that would be an awesome song lyric. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then it kind of, you know, worked with the way that we were going with things. Um, so there's songs like that that are definitely a uh, direct personal narrative uh, of my own. And same with like a uh, skeleton key and throne um, or find your throne. Sorry. We, we changed that. <laughs> I'll find your throne. I keep saying throne. People are like, don't you mean find your throne? And I'll be like, come on, I wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) Not actually. Um, Yeah, Find Your Throne is definitely more like that. The Air Up Here is definitely a song that I wrote from from a perspective of like feeling more at home in my DIY community, feeling more uh, embraced by the people around me and the friends that I've made. uh, And kind of just like a, it's like a farewell letter to like all the things that, I don't know, that have held me back, you know? And not to sound so negative like that, not held me back, but all the things that were inadequate maybe in my life. I don't know. Um, 
it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult <laughs> to think about this stuff like that now that it's out. Um, but yeah, there are definitely songs where I would think about things from a different perspective and write them. Like I think Escape Rope was definitely the one that is most like that, where I was not feeling that way when I wrote it, but I was trying to imagine someone feeling that way. Yeah, sort of <laughs> like that. I don't know. That's a lot of stuff I just said. I'm sorry I didn't answer that as poetically as I could have. Oh, no, no, it's all good. It makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, and like a couple of the things that you kind of hit on in there are like the mix between like the serious and the kind of more jokey stuff and also kind of like the mix between, you know, like the stereotypical like emo being like sad, depressing music and like Somewhere, Somewhere City as a whole being like a very positive album. Um, how do you kind of like balance those both of those sides of the band? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, and I've been realizing that it is, you know, definitely a, a, a balance between those different elements. Um, and I don't even necessarily think it was all super intentional other than I think that's just how we are as people, you know? Like, I think as a person writing this music lyrically, I have a ton of different emotions of uh, of anxiety, of sadness, of happiness, definitely at points. and of positivity and more so just like a love for the people around me and uh, and wanting to see those people do great and wanting to see myself do great and better in my life and just kind of how that all comes together in one song is sort of the journey that Somewhere City goes through. Um, I think as far as like the balances that we take like intentionally uh, definitely has to do with like the track list um, and like where we want certain songs to be is definitely like how we try to help balance that. You know, we'll start with like a welcome to, which is obviously the introduction to the album and tries to get people familiar with the concept. And then we go straight into 24 hour drive through, which is a friendship, you know, uh, anthem sort of. Uh, it's a song about, you know, homies and eating <laughs> fast food and goofy stuff like that. But while at the same time trying to talk about, you know, like, the mental health of the others around you and just like how important it is that you're looking out for the people that you love, you know, for sure. um, and going from that more into the 666 flags direction is kind of like that internal dialogue of like, I don't know, that one is very much like, an, like I said, like an internal dialogue of myself where it's like, there's all this goofy shit happening, but then at the same time, there's a lot more serious stuff underneath the, underneath what would you say underneath the surface i don't know why i couldn't think of the word surface <laughs> um yeah it's like i don't know it's weird i think that's just how i think as a human being is how pat thinks it's how we are i guess i think it's how people are for sure yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean there's, there's definitely like that duality um in a lot of people and and as sort of like a process of like a journey from kind of like one to the other and like all of the in-between areas well it makes sense that there's kind of that like i said like duality i guess <laughs> definitely yeah i think um what's really what was i about to say Damn. oh i was gonna say like <laughs> you have you watched the paul rudd hot ones interview no i haven't it's the one they made a meme about where he's like uh he's like i don't know you know the show though, like where they eat the hot wings and stuff. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like the Paul Rudd one. He's talking about how like the things that he finds funniest, like in cinema, are like typically drama movies that have like some of the funniest moments that he thinks of. And then there are more serious movies 
or they're more more like funny movies more comedic movies that end up having more serious tones like some of the most saddest things that he's ever seen too you see that's just what he said about it <laughs> and i was thinking about this record and like certain songs that we've written in that certain way like i think that's just like a thing that's common is, uh, among a lot of people is that some of the most like funny things end up having the saddest overtones and vice versa um i don't know it's just it's fucked really like i think like <laughs> i don't know Feelings are weird as hell. That's basically what I was saying. For sure, for sure. I feel you. Um, and kind of like jumping off like that sort of balance. Um, I'm curious about like this Somewhere City is kind of the most, I feel like, layered um, Origami Angel stuff so far. Um, so how do you kind of balance um, like the studio magic being able to add, you know, bass and other additional instruments um, with with being able to replicate it live and also kind of like the airier aspects of the band with the kind of like blast beats breakdowns and stuff. Definitely. Yeah. Most of that has come from like just me, like advancing my rig and my pedal board and stuff like that. So kind of um, to make up for like a, a double tracked guitar feel on the record of having like two guitarists playing similar things or even the same thing, which is how the record is recorded for the most part, double tracked guitars and um, just a fuller sound from that. I use two guitar amps mainly that uh, there's this thing, I have a pedal called the Mimic, which is like an automatic double tracking pedal, which creates a stereo field between the two guitar amps, which is kind of sick um, because it lets like, it lets me be louder, but also have a little more air and width to the sound. Um, and I also can like turn that on and off at uh, will. So like it could be just one amp or two amps, like to like when that other guitar would come in, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. And then the other amp that I use is a bass amp, which I'm sending another signal to that has like more low end and like octave down stuff to help with a bassist. And it's definitely like it gets us there live. Like that plus the energy helps mm-hmm. us mimic the record. <laughs> uh, and as far as like yeah, blast beats and stuff like that. I just got like some cool distortion pedals that help us be loud (laughs) and that just goes ham all the time. Um, (laughs) Always helps. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting to me to like hear about all the different gear, even though it's like also totally like way over my head because I'm like, I have no idea about (laughs) any of that stuff. (laughs) Um, And you had mentioned in the uh, like one like equals one fact about the album thread um, which which you still owe, I believe, like 390 facts, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that got a little out of hand. You had mentioned that uh, Gen 3 was kind of like a prequel to Some More Cities in some way. Uh, I was curious, could you like expand on that a little bit? Definitely. Um, well, so there are certain like callbacks that um, were definitely like planned intentionally, like from the like previous to the release of both uh both records um so like to me there are certain character elements of gen 3 so like ruby that definitely appears in uh somewhere city like that character and that like that mindset um and then sapphire the chorus uh has the maybe we should go back to where we know that you'll never be sad and you'll always be happy there which is a direct reference to somewhere city um and then emerald is kind of I've always looked at as like the uh, the way that certain songs have their attitudes. It's like Emerald is another character and the, the voice from Emerald is completely different than that of Sapphire or Rubies. Um, and that that voice is apparent on a couple of the tracks too. 
Um, I'm curious to see if anybody has like picked up on that stuff. Uh, <laughs> but it's definitely, it makes sense to me. So hopefully it makes sense to other people. And then XD is kind of like, I don't know, XD kind of, <laughs> to me is like the anthem of Somewhere City, even though it, it's not on that album. <laughs> it's it like, that's like a, a postlude, postlude. It's like a PS. <laughs> um, to the record it's like it's like a it's like an actualized thing and it's like a very cocky song and very goofy and funny which I think is just like a I don't know I think there's a lot of elements on Gen 3 that were kind of warming people up to the idea of Somewhere City mm-hmm. um, and I like to say it worked I think <laughs> I think it's pretty cool I think that um, the record definitely makes sense following Gen 3 and I think that the themes are expanded upon a little bit um, and that those voices still remain in our music. And that's something that I've always been interested in is creating like an ongoing narrative, Mm. like across releases is a lot of fun for me. Yeah. I mean, it is really interesting. And like, I'm curious, like how, since you had like the idea for some more city, like so relatively long ago, um, how was it kind of like planning and like working on like these like multiple parts at the same time? Um, it was a lot of fun, actually. Just um, and it was it was really cool compared to like how we had done EPs previous to a uh, previous to Gen Three and and Somewhere City is just like looking at a bigger picture. Um, while both of these things are happening at the same time, kind of allowed us to have these cooler things in the rollout. You know, like I said earlier, like tire ties into the previous records, and just like how we could expand on what we the like universe that we created with gen three it's definitely like planning both of those things at the same time and seeing what is working and seeing what isn't working and kind of just all the behind the scenes stuff that we've got to do with gen three just ended up making somewhere city a lot better and like a lot funner for people i think um yeah (laughs) i guess that's what i'm trying to say is that we uh definitely have had a really like neat time being able to plan both of this stuff around the same time it's also cool because it gave us a lot more time to sort of fully digest what we were going to do with summer city and how we wanted this rollout to go for sure yeah i mean i was like i kind of hopped on the origami angel train when with gen 3 and i definitely wasn't expecting like a full length coming this year so it was like really like i was super surprised when like the whole somewhere city website and stuff dropped um and i think it's just like been it was so cool to watch like i wasn't super involved in like you know the like nitty-gritty details of like the scavenger hunting for the leaks and stuff but it was super cool even just from like the kind of once removed perspective to see how like invested in it people were and in the band as well just like how many little especially once the album was out like seeing all the little references and stuff that were that went into the site that were kind of like hidden in plain sight um can you talk a little bit about about like the planning stages of that and the rollout and just kind of like the hype around it and the i guess like significance of like the fan base like the the, i feel like the gami gang is like kind of taking over the world in a way (laughs) definitely definitely um yeah so planning it was a lot uh, of back and forth between me and Lex from Chatterbot, who, like I said earlier, she's our manager. Um, and she planned this whole rollout. She's definitely like the project manager of, of Somewhere City. Um, so, I don't know. She just kept coming with these really sweet ideas. And then we would talk on the phone for like hours of like how to like, 
how to keep expanding on this and what exactly we're going to do. And with her, she's just so committed to making a rollout complete. And she's just so good at flushing those ideas out and just little things that I'll say, like even if they might have been a joke, um, <laughs> just turning them into into full-blown ideas and just turn them into full-blown ways that we can present an album and build hype. And that's just what she's done. And luckily for us with that, um, she's helped us cultivate a group of people who support us and who will be down to do stuff like do the ARG to find the song or, uh, you know, find things that are hidden on the website. Um, like just in plain sight, like you said, um, which is really, it's pretty amazing to me. I never thought that someone would care about Gami that much to <laughs> even really click on the website, but the amount of support that we were getting through that, like the rollout and hyping the album up is, is still super incredible to me. Like every day, like, I don't know. It's, it's crazy to see how it continues going and I'm just ready to, to wake up one day and have it all be a dream, but it's, it's pretty <laughs> ridiculous. Um, how, how well Lex has planned that stuff out. Um, I don't know. It still baffles me how committed <laughs> she was to this release and just how committed she is to our band as a whole, really. Like, we love working with her. We've been working with her since our first EP. Uh, we've been on Chatterbox since day one, um, which is really cool and amazing to work with friends like that uh, for such a long time. Yeah, for sure. It definitely sounds like that, like, special relationship, especially, like, you saying, like, you kind of making an offhanded comment and her remembering that and turning it into, like, this integral part of the rollout. Like, that's that's so cool to see. Um, And I'm curious, like, how much of this was kind of, of the rollout was, like, was it all meticulously planned out beforehand or did any of it kind of, like, develop in real time? Uh, It's a little bit of both, actually. Um, And so... The ARG we definitely planned out before. Um, that was like the hunt, the scavenger hunt for uh, the skeleton key, which leaked early uh, through that. That was definitely planned before. And um, the travel brochures that we sent out with links to the album <laughs> that came out before the record was out, they were shipped out before the record came out. That was planned before as well. Uh, there were certain things like we decided it'd be really cool if we made the Dr. Whom's video live like 24 hours before it actually went up. <laughs> so we did that. We put it up like a little less than a day before just like to see if people could find it. Um, and people did. It was really cool. It's just like another little thing that we had added on to the rollout, which was a lot of fun. Um, so there was a couple things that were done in real time, but most of it was planned out before. For sure. Yeah, that's really cool. And I feel like, like going back to kind of like just the buzz around it, I feel like the way that Somewhere City, like the whole campaign kind of like grabbed people is, I can't really think of anything recently. The closest thing I can think of recently to that would be like Bayside earlier this year when they put out their album. They did like, it was either like a two or a four week kind of turnaround time. But I feel like, and I think it did a good job with kind of like getting people excited and um keeping them paying attention to everything but i feel like just like kind of the immersive uh aspects of the somewhere city rollout i feel like and i don't know how long exactly was the rollout because i feel like it was even longer than baysides but had people even more like involved in it in a way (laughs) yeah so um i think we started the hunt for skeleton key 
and like the website claims of the travel information guides that was about that was pretty much a month and change before the album came out so that was like i think we started that on like october 12th maybe maybe a little bit after that and the single drop october 18th or 19th uh drive through 24 hour drive through drop the 19th yeah mm-hmm. october 18th, and the full album obviously came out uh this past friday on the 15th so it was around a month which honestly i've seen rollouts way longer recently which mm-hmm. is really cool too um but i think we decided early on with the the way that we planned to roll this stuff out it just worked best in that time frame i guess mm-hmm. like within a month um just with the amount of stuff that we wanted to have keep building up keep rolling along it was cool <laughs> yeah definitely I, I feel like it was like a really good uh like amount of time where it felt like it didn't feel like oversaturated or anything and like i said it felt like it kept, kept people's attention the whole way through which, which was really cool to see that kind of like engagement yeah thank you today for the mid-show shout out i want to spotlight audio diction through his youtube channel brandon brings the scene to your screen posting extensive album reviews, full live sets, and an astounding number of interviews highlighting up-and-coming bands from a variety of genres. YouTube isn't typically my format of choice, but IO Addiction is one of the few exceptions, so I hope you check it out. I wanted to ask, I hope you guys don't uh, feel like you're becoming the Pokemon band and hate it or anything. <laughs> but Oh no, uh, I actually love it. <laughs> but I was curious. I have uh, kind of like messed around a little bit with like ROM hacks before, but uh, not. I feel like a lot of them have either been in the process of being made when I downloaded them and had like just crazy expectations, or they kind of took a little bit of a long way to get going. So I'm curious, what is kind of like your favorite? One of your favorite ROM hacks, and what's like the draw of it for you? Okay, uh, my favorite ROM hack is a pretty popular one. One amongst people is a. Uh, is Pokemon Light Platinum. Um, I don't know if you've ever played that ROM hack. It's so sick. Uh, it's basically, it is its own story in that it doesn't try to do too much with being different. Like the ROM hack idea is not like, oh, this is completely different. It's not like fake Emon. It's not any like new stuff like that. Um, it's a story using all the existing legendaries up to Gen 5 put into a Gen 3 game which is really cool. Um, it kind of tells the story of a kid who his dad was like linked to Arceus, I guess. And it sort of, sort of follows a different like history of creation of the whole universe. I don't know. It's, it's really sick. The like amount of detail that they went in with the legendaries, but there's a ton of legendaries in the game. They have this cool thing where you can end up getting all of the starters, not all the starters. You can pick, uh, starter from each generation as you go through the game all right <laughs> um, after you beat the elite four there is another region you can travel to you can get another eight badges you can battle another elite four and i think there's even another region after that like it's jam-packed with gameplay um i don't know if it's technically finished but <laughs> i remember being like 11 years old maybe 12 in sixth grade on my dad's old laptop for work and like getting a Game Boy emulator and playing that and like being absolutely mesmerized. I played it a couple years ago too, and it's still just as good. Um, <laughs> Light Platinum is like the one for me. Um, there's this other one called Pokemon Naranja. Um, it's in Spanish, but I played it. 
is really sick. Uh, it's about like the Orange Islands, which is sick. It kind of follows the the uh, the animated shows Orange Island sequence. There is Pokemon Ash Gray, which follows Ash's Indigo League stuff. That's always neat because you never really get that in the games. There's, I know Pat really likes Fire Red Omega, which is just like a super beefed up version of Fire Red with like, I don't know, it's harder. Gotcha. <laughs> like he's always like, he's always like, yeah, games are too easy. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know. But I feel that too. I played those ones too. They're really sick. I was waiting, hoping that uh, Santa would get me um, Sword or Shield for Christmas. So I decided to start playing through uh, Ultra Sun. Because I, I think after like Generation 3, I kind of like fell a little bit off the wagon and stuff. But um, I, I'm like over 16 hours in. And I think I'm on like the second island on Ultra Sun. <laughs> Ultra Sun. Yeah, I've actually never played the Ultra versions of the Gen 7 games. I've heard that they're better than the original ones, though. Yeah, it's cool. I actually I don't have a Switch, so I'm not I'm not doing Sword or Shield yet. Uh hopefully at some point I'll be able to like buy one, but I don't know. It's not fiscally responsible for me right now. <laughs> I feel yeah. You should um follow the R Nintendo Switch deals subreddit because I actually got um there's like some weird like I think it's called I don't. I think it's called like the Daily Steal or something. It's like through the Facebook Marketplace. But I ended up getting a copy of Sword for forty bucks. Oh, nice! And it just came out a week ago. So like, and it should be here. I I think it should be here on Saturday or something. I'm like so stoked for it. (laughs) Yeah, the gameplay that I've seen so far looks really really cool. Um, I was just hanging out with Tyler from Stars Hollow. He has it. He was like, it's super good. So, I'm. I'm awaiting the day that I'll get to play it. But I've never been the type of person who's like, I need to have this on release. Um, yeah, same. <laughs> I, can, I can wait a bit for the game, let my friends play it first, tell me how great it is, and then hopefully it doesn't let down my expectations. <laughs> for sure, yeah. Um, and I, I always like to kind of like finish up the interviews by asking um, for either just like a piece of advice or like an observation or kind of like philosophical idea or whatever that you've had recently. Um, either about like music or life in general. Oh wow! <laughs> okay, I thought of something the other night, but it sucked. Um, but what, I was hanging out with my other my friends the other night, and I was just thinking about how weird is it that we get sick? Like that's I don't know. I thought about that for way too long, and I was like, <laughs> that sucks. Um, but that's an awful one. Let me think of one for real. Oh my god. Okay, uh, I'm gonna think about this for a second so <laughs> that I don't say something dumb and regret it. And also, I'm just going to say, it's weird that we get sick, but it's, I feel like it's equally as weird that we can get healthy again. Isn't that even weirder? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, it's like, it's so random. Like, I could just wake up sick because of some shit that happened, and I'll be sick for a couple of days, and that just happens sometimes. And I thought about that way too hard, and I was like, yeah, that, that doesn't make any sense. So I'm pretty sure we're living in a simulation. Anyway, um philosophical idea maybe about life um i don't know as far as life goes i i like to uh really embrace the people around me with love and support and just try to help my communities be the best that they can be um and music is probably one that i could shed some more philosophical light on um i don't know i think music is so 
weird because we're at a point right now where it's like there's so much good music being made. And I think that there's a lot of people that are like discouraged kind of maybe from like starting it. But I definitely felt in that same boat before Origami Angel started. And I think everyone should just try to play an instrument at some point in their life and not even make it about being great, make it about being fun. Cause that's definitely why I started playing music. And it's why I continue to play music is that it's fun as hell for me. Um, it's like one, definitely the most important part of my life. And I don't know, it's, it's made me a ton of friends and a ton of really cool opportunities and a lot of, I don't know, it helps me think about things differently too. And I don't know. I, that that that's my that's my philosophical thing. I think everybody should at least try to learn an instrument at some point in their life because it's a lot of fun. For sure. Yeah. I, I feel like there's been kind of like in the last like year or so, kind of a a big push to just kind of be like, you know, everyone can do this, anyone could do this, just you know, just go for it. Even if it doesn't end up t- like turning into a band or anything, like you can just chill and noodle on a guitar at home. <laughs> exactly. It's I think it's it's super cool that like that is like a a mindset that more and more people are getting into because that's the way it should be that's that's how all great art is created it's not created out of people being like oh i'm gonna be picasso too electric boogaloo <laughs> it's like i i don't know if, if you love something and put passion to it or even if you don't if you just you know find a a fun thing a fun hobby and playing guitar and stuff like that you are totally gonna be like that was a great decision you're not gonna regret it learning any instrument Unless you do, but then it's not on me, you know? Alright, there you go. I hope you enjoyed this trip through Somewhere City. And remember, you're welcome back anytime simply by playing the record. Thank you so much to Ryland for being a pleasure to talk to. Oh, and a happy update to the Pokemon discussion. It was gifted a Nintendo Switch Lite and Pokemon Shield by Lex at Chatterbot and some other friends. Sword and Shield definitely get a high recommendation from me, but even they don't blow me away as much as Somewhere City. If you haven't already, please go and give it a play as soon as possible. Check back in on Monday for a hint at next week's guest, another one I'm highly excited for. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyOnTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at flyonthecallpod at gmail.com. Now go out there and catch them all. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.